Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Church at Home. My name's JP. I'm one of the pastors here and a really warm welcome, especially if it's your first time here. Uh, you're joining us in the midst of our month of events called We Need to Talk About Race. It's a, a conversation as a family for the sake of the family that we are hoping will kickstart an on ongoing conversation amongst us as we learn and talk and uh, take action together. And last week we had a, a guest speaker, Ben Lindsay, whose who's book's just been uh, referred to. It was such a privilege to have him with us, wasn't it? And uh, if you saw that message. And one of the many things I, I loved about Ben's message was the way that he uh, left us at the end with an encouragement to uh, engage in, in the conversation around issues of race with boldness and with courage. And really it's there that I wanna uh, pick up from today. I wanna uh, speak a message today entitled, A Bold Conversation. And to do so, I wanna use a passage from one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, uh, the letter to the, uh, to the Galatians, so the, the churches in an area called Galatia. And I'm speaking from chapter two, verses 11 through to 16, and the words will come up on the screen. Is what it says but when Cephas so uh, that is uh, Peter by another name uh, came to Antioch I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James he was eating with the Gentiles but when they came he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party uh, which is a, a name for, um, some say the Jews, some say the Jewish Christians. Um, either way, circumcision party sounds horrendous, right? Doesn't sound like much of a party. I mean, you, you thought Zoom parties were bad. Circumcision party, bah. Well, anyway, back to the Bible. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. We have here a report of one of the most delicate and difficult moments in the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. So Gentile is simply a Bible word for uh, not a Jew. So uh, most of us listening to this message, I suspect, and the relationship between those two. And um, it's a, a converse, conversation or perhaps more accurately, a confrontation uh, between Paul, who was the, the leader to the mission to the Gentiles, and Peter, who was in charge of the mission to the Jews. Now, you can't map the, the Jew-Gentile issue exactly onto 21st century questions ar around race relations, but there are some really helpful parallels. So I just want to dwell here for a moment. Why can we use this, this passage on, on Jew-Gentile relations to speak into this conversation on race that we're having? Well, the first thing is that it shows us that God wants a multi-ethnic, diverse people united together in Jesus. 
This is a narrative that's all throughout the Bible. Right back in Genesis 12, God speaks to Abraham about being the father of a multitude of nations. And then all throughout the Old Testament, as the prophets constantly call Israel, the, the people of God, the Jews, to be a light to the nations around them. Even to the, the birth of Jesus himself and, and the, the prophecies over his life are that he will be a light to the whole world. Do you know, it's only once the first church is established amongst the Gentiles in Acts chapter 11 at Antioch, the same place our passage today takes place. It's only there and then that the disciples first get called Christians. Almost as though God waited to attach the name of his son to his people until this racial and cultural diversity in the church was established. And why did he do that? Because it reflects him. God himself, unity in diversity, Father, Son and Spirit, three persons, yet one God. And so this, this Jew-Gentile relationship also shows that within this multi-ethnic people, there is no superiority. The persons of the Trinity have different roles, and yet none of them are any less God than the others. One God. And so anything that gives the impression that one human is made any less in the image of God than another is just not right. It's not just. And the Psalms tell us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne of God. And that's why it's not enough for us just to not be racist. The gospel calls us to actively oppose anything that says that one human is superior or inferior in worth to another. But this Jew-Gentile relationship also shows us that who we are still matters. Now, whoever we are, if we're in Christ, if Jesus is number one priority in our lives, then we are all one, equal in status, forgiven and accepted before God. And that changes everything. I became a Christian at the age of 14 and it totally changed my life. But it doesn't mean that the, the things that are in our makeup now get completely ignored. Paul's talking here to Christians, and yet he still refers to the Jewish Christians as Jews and the Gentile Christians as Gentiles. Later on in the letter, he refers to uh, male and female being one in Christ, and yet there's still instructions elsewhere in the New Testament that only make sense if God still recognises our gender. We have characteristics in our makeup about us that God made. So I am first and foremost a Christian, but second to that, I am a 34-year-old, married, British, white, Stoke City supporting, good-looking, might as well try it, a father, and all of those things matter to God. Probably to differing extents. I suspect God is more concerned about my husbandry than my football allegiance, but there you go. Our bodies and our culture are not unimportant to God. Our bodies are not just mere shells to house the soul. They will be resurrected with us. 
Even our culture is celebrated in heaven, where tribes and languages and nationalities are all recognised. And so that is to say that we are not colourless. Race, colour, is it's not intended to place us ahead of anyone in Christ. We're all one in Jesus Christ. But it's still part of who God made us to be, of the way that we're designed, of the families that he's, he's placed us in. And we should celebrate that because our diversity is God's creativity. And if we don't uphold that, then we lose the sense of being unity in diversity that God intends for his people to reflect him. So this Jew Gentile issue, this passage today is a, a helpful passage for us. If we too want to engage in this conversation in a bold way, and so I, I want to move on to look at three things that, that Paul did here that's going to help us to have a bold conversation. And the first thing is this. Paul knew that this was a gospel issue. The passage that I uh, read out today, it's one of those, oh, Peter, kind of moments. You know, Peter in, in the Bible, he was uh, with Jesus throughout the, the gospels, the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. And, and then as he ascended to heaven, Peter was there in Acts chapter 2 as the Holy Spirit fell on the Jewish Christians there. He was then there in Acts chapter 8 as the, the Samaritans were brought into this great plan. Those who were in proximity to the Jews in Jerusalem, but culturally, ethnically, very, very different. There was hatred, there was animosity, and yet they were included. He was there where the gospel went into Africa, and then it's Acts chapter 10, where Peter is worshipping one day on, on a rooftop and he, he sees this vision of a, um, a blanket full of food come down from heaven, full of food that no Jews should touch, considered unclean. And yet God says to him, don't consider unclean anything that I have said clean, go and eat it. And, and Peter gets, um, ends up going and spending time eating with some Gentiles, which no Jew of the day ever would have done. He explains the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit falls on them. He says, ah, is the paraphrase. And then he goes to the, the other Jewish apostles who's saying, Peter, why are you hanging out with Gentiles? Jews don't do that. And he said, but I told them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they said, ah. Do you know, if there is any one person who should have understood, should have known that the Gentiles were included equally in God's plan of salvation, it was Peter. And yet when these Jewish Christians arrived in Antioch in verse 12 with a circumcision party. It says, verse 12, that he drew back and separated himself from the Gentile Christians. And Paul's assessment of this separation on the grounds of race is that this isn't just a social or political or cultural issue. He said, no, this is a transgression of the gospel. He's saying to Peter, you are not living out the unity that you know you have. And it's leading people astray. 
Or maybe even more than that, he's saying God did not have fellowship with you on the basis of your race. And so how can you have or not have fellowship with others on the basis of race? Do you know the, the root problem here in 21st century questions of race in, in any issue actually is the sinful state of the human heart. It's a sin that um, right from the very beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3 caused division. It's a, a sin that causes us to in-group, to retreat towards people or ideas just like us so that we can feel affirmed in ourselves and justify our actions. Tim Keller, who's a, a, a pastor in the States, he wrote a wonderful article called uh, The Bible and Race. It's in the resource booklets um, that, that we sent out. We'll put a link on, on the screen uh, right now so you can find that. Um, it's a brilliant article, but one of the things in there he says is this, the root of racism is a rejection of the gospel of grace and a return to justification by our own moral efforts. It's an attempt to feel superior and better than others using racial characteristics. And you know, that's why this month of events, this conversation that we're having as a church family is different from the discussion that society is having on justice issues, however it gets articulated. We've, we've all seen it in the news. There's usually um, some kind of statement about um, equality and, and human worth, whether it's um, Black Lives Matter, I can't breathe, I just want to live, TBH365, wh whatever it is. And then there's a, an accompanying appeal to live it out. And the statement, the true statement, actually is, is often just traced back to Genesis chapter 1, that we're, we're all made in the image of God. The trouble is with the appeal, the appeal to live it out. Because we can't just live it out. If we're true to ourselves, we know that our hearts are just too inclined to prejudice for our own gain. We all struggle to act consistently with what we know we want to be. We, we feel like the world should be a, a better place. And, and yet things like the horrific killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor happen. We, we feel that we should be better than we are. And yet we realize our own prejudice. We realize that of the education and employment and enforcement systems around us. And yet the gospel gives the way forward, just as it did here. The fact that Jesus died on a cross to take away our sin, the fact that he was raised to newness of life so that we could have new life, destroys our self-justification. Because as it says in verse 16, the work of Jesus already justifies us, already presents us right and blameless before God because Jesus has done it all. It reminds us of the available grace of God that supplies our every need so we don't need to assert superiority over those around us. 
It unites us as a Christian family in a far deeper way than a public appeal to act in a, in a particular manner can do because it gives us a new heart. It gives us a new life. It empowers us and enables us. God himself does those things in us because he is unity in diversity. Do you know when Paul confronted Peter, he knew that not only was the gospel the heart of the challenge, it was the hope for change too. And so why do we want to fight the fact that black people are nine times more likely nationally than white people to be stopped and searched by the police because of the gospel? Why do we want to fight the fact that in 2018, only 7% of newly published children's books in the UK had a single BAME character in, meaning that animals were better represented than the 33% of children who were reading them. It's because of the gospel we want to fight those things. Why are we concerned about the disproportionate representation of, of people in colour in, in, in some of the best-known educational institutions and professions and in the entertainment industry and, and even in churches because of the gospel? And so, the second point, in love, Paul had a bold conversation. He had a bold conversation. And do you know what? It overcame the barriers. I don't know what you feel your own barriers to uh, this discussion are, but whatever your feelings, whatever your experiences, I, I suspect that you can identify with many of the barriers that Peter felt, those things that prevented him from truly living out the gospel. Verse 12 talks about fear. Maybe for you it's fear of change, fear of confrontation, fear of going back over painful experiences, fear that to engage is risky. Perhaps it's the barrier of confronting big issues or, or big people. Maybe it's sincere arguments that are sincerely wrong. Perhaps you've become convinced that racism's not actually that much of a problem or that if you just claim that it has no effect on you in the name of Jesus, then you and your family and your friends will be fine and not affected by it at all. Maybe the barrier is the baggage of history. It featured for Peter just as it, it did for us, and, to, and maybe for you to revisit it is painful. Perhaps it's the barrier of, of ignorance or you, you just don't feel you, you understand or realise the extent of the issue. Maybe it's the barrier of pride. I was talking to a friend uh, just, just this week who said it, it hurt when I realised that I didn't understand the extent of the problem. You know, Peter fell into all those things in one way or another. And this was a conversation that was costly for Paul too. I mean, just before this passage, Paul has referred to Peter as being someone who was influential, who was his equal, who was a pillar, someone that he shared fellowship with. But do you know what? Paul loved Peter enough to have a conversation. And I want to ask you, 
If this is a gospel issue, do you love your church family enough to have a conversation, a bold conversation, to listen to those who are vulnerably sharing their experiences, whether that's experiences of racism or, or experiences of their journey of understanding? Do you love them enough to hear them out? More than that, do you take Jesus seriously enough to care about the things that he cares about, including injustice, including racial and cultural diversity, including the welfare of his flock, including his want to shape his people? If so, we must have a bold conversation. And that is a gospel, scripture-centered conversation. I'm so pleased that on the, the Monday, the 19th of October, we're going to be running a, a Zoom seminar called A Theology of Race. What does the Bible say? You can find details in the resource booklet. A bold conversation is one that is risky. What we're talking about is not safe. It's not comfortable. This will feel awkward for some. A bold conversation is proactive. It's about seeking out, speaking to, to others. It's about coming to the prayer meetings on a Wednesday morning to take a stand against the evil of racism. It's about taking the, the action steps that are, are listed in the booklet or whatever you feel God is leading you to do. A bold conversation is one that does not stand for sin or evil amongst us. And a bold conversation also allows for forgiveness and correction, just like in this passage here. Because do you know what happened as Paul had this conversation with Peter? Well, it's this, the third point, it rescued Peter. Rescued Peter. Rescued him from condemnation, rescued him from hypocrisy, rescued him from inconsistency. It gave him opportunity to once again live out the gospel. We've talked about um, uh, the story of Acts up to chapter 11. But in chapters 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas go off from Antioch, again, uh, same city we're in in this passage, on a, a missionary journey. They speak to lots of people about Jesus. They start lots of churches. And at the end of that, they come back to Antioch, the end of chapter 14, where the events that we've read about today take place. But come chapter 15, just the start of the very next chapter, there is then a, a big council in Jerusalem to once and for all sort out this Jew and Gentile issue in a gospel way. And what we find at that council is Peter, restored, once again leading as he should, living out the gospel. There's no separation or prejudice on the grounds of race. There's simply an acceptance of the transforming power of the grace of God. Paul's actions here certainly helped Peter, but they saved the unity of the church as well. And this conversation that we are having in this month of events and beyond requires us to be like Paul before this Peter-esque situation that we find ourselves in. And where Paul confronted Peter, as it says in verse 14, before them all, this likewise is an in front of everyone conversation. One where we know 
that this is a gospel issue. That is our grounding, our foundation, our hope in this conversation. And one where we love one another enough to have a bold conversation. But our hope for action, our hope for this to be an ongoing discussion, our hope for change is not merely in our personal resolve. It's in the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. He is the reason that Paul could raise this issue and he is the reason that Peter could receive it. And so however you feel about the issue of race, about this conversation that we are having, I want to encourage you, come to Jesus. Because he wants to work in you and through you too. Let me pray and we'll, uh, we'll close. Lord Jesus, we come to you recognising that only you are our hope in this conversation. Only you are our hope for overcoming the barriers that we face. Only you are the one that can uh, give us that love for one another, such as to have a bold conversation. Only you can guide us. And yet because you love the racial, racial and cultural diversity in your church, we know that as we pray, we are joining in with your heart too, to celebrate your creativity through our diversity. My prayer, Lord, is that as we engage in these discussions, that we would grow to become more like you individually as a church, and that from that place, Lord, would overflow a wonderful hope into society that speaks of the beauty of the unity of the gospel. I pray, Father, for anyone that is uh, feeling uh, nervous or a sense of pain about this conversation, that the healing balm of your spirit would come to them. I pray for anyone who feels awkward or uncomfortable, that your grace would come alongside them and empower them to engage. I pray, Jesus, this is a conversation that is full of love, full of grace, compassion, and forgiveness. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Chris and Emily, over to you.